I love light. I've always loved light. I mean, it's the big reason why I got into photography. That's one of the main reasons why I got into filmmaking. Being able to trick an audience into believing that a flat surface like a screen actually has depth and using one of the tools that we have around us every day, just a single light source. To me, lighting is a lot like cooking. It's about taking control of one of our main senses, manipulating it to feel some sort of an emotion. With food, it's taste. Great chefs can get an emotional response out of you just by mixing sweet and salty. A great lighting artist can do the same thing with light and shadow. So I, for this episode, I reached out to you guys and asked, because I'm gonna do this one solo, uh, just because booking guests uh, becomes a job and a task, and I don't wanna sit around and wait for people's schedules to align. And I keep forgetting that you guys have questions for me. Uh, so I reached out to you on the Instagram accounts. I did it both on at Mike Petchy on Instagram and at In Love With The Process POD on Instagram and asked, what do you guys wanna hear me blab on about for about an hour? Uh, and I've got a huge response from lighting, which is cool because I'm such a huge fanboy of it. Um, so this episode, we're gonna sit around and talk about lighting, how I work with light. And I know a lot of you young filmmakers and young photographers out there are feeling a bit daunted by the actual art and the task of lighting. Um, I know when I started out, it seemed like this weird science uh, that I really couldn't wrap my head around. And it took a while for me to just sort of change my mindset. Uh, and I, I figured out a new way to focus. For me, it's not about textbooks. It's not about reading about the technical way to set up lights and to turn them on. I went in a different direction. I went into how lights affect me emotionally. And then I, I started to categorize how I was feeling about certain lighting so that I can then use that and recreate that to convey those emotions in a photograph or on film. Uh, so if you guys are uh, looking for some cool lighting tips, if you're looking to get inspired by light, uh, this episode today is for you. And bear with me, I'm a bit short of breath today. I have been busting my ass all over the place. I just got back from Seattle. I was hanging out with the guys from um, Puget Systems uh, and School of Motion, uh, really cool dudes. And uh, we all sort of teamed up and did a project together. Uh, the School of Motion guys are trying to figure out what is the best, biggest machine that you can build for After Effects. Uh, and then it was the first time I got to go hang out with my friends and sponsors of the show, uh, Puget Systems at their home offices, and my first time in Seattle. Seattle's a pretty rad place, man. It's like, uh, if I had to describe it, I would say it's like Boston meets San Francisco with like a weird little bit of like the East Village from New York in certain neighborhoods. So really cool place. Um, I'm sure I'll do an episode and we'll talk about that. But for today's episode, it's all about light. So, you know the deal, guys. Let's do something special today. I want you to go either sit in front of a window, if it's during the day, sit in front of a window, hopefully with a mirror across from you so you could see how that light is reflecting and moving across your face. Now, if you have the ability to control the light in your space, close the blind of that window, shut off all the lights in the room, grab a table lamp and put it next to you. Turn that on so that half your face is in shadow and half your face is in light. And just stare at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> Today we're gonna get very introspective here, guys. So, set up that light, 
throw on your noise-canceling headphones, sit back, and relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. All right, welcome, guys. Uh, so like I said, it's just me today, and uh, we're going to chat about my favorite fucking thing in the world, uh, playing with light. Uh, so first, let's just get into, I've got a bunch of notes here, so I'm going to read through and try to keep us on track and uh, keep my rambling to a minimum, unless it's some good shit, and then I'll just go off the rails, and then you guys can have to just listen to it, so whatever. <laughs> rambling part one. Uh, okay, so what is the purpose of light in a photo or film? Uh, ultimately light, you need light to see. So I think initially when they started to take the first photograph and when they started to create uh, cinema, you got to turn on a light. And at that time you're dealing with film and, and film needs light in order to develop, in order to create an image. And, uh, back in the early days, uh, film wasn't as sensitive as it is today and it nearly isn't as, as sensitive as a lot of the digital cameras are. So it's usually, back in those days, it was a big, giant light source. And the simplest thing to do in your first uh, intuition with lights is, you know, put the light in front of the person, probably next to the camera, and then just turn it on. And uh, the same could be said with a constant light uh, or a strobe light. And we'll get into those a little bit later. But if you look at a lot of that original photography and a lot of that original film stuff, it looked kind of flat just because someone's turning on light just to see, essentially. And I think uh, with anything, especially with cinema, the longer people start to play around, the longer they stumble across really cool accidents, the longer uh, they have uh, to sort of play with this stuff, they start to create really cool depth. They start to create really interesting little tricks to trick the mind into believing that this flat surface that I'm looking at, you could put your hand into it. <laughs> um, and so I think if you remember that at its core, if you are using light to show something, that's essentially what it comes down to. You need to show the audience an action. You need to show the audience uh, a bit of the story so that they can understand I mean, we live in a time period now where it isn't just silent filmmaking. You do have sound. Um, so you can actually entertain the audience with just a black screen and sound and noise. Um, but when I went to film school, I was trained on silent filmmaking. So I was trained on black and white um, reversal, 16 millimeter reversal film. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, we had to turn a light on to be able to tell the story because that was the only thing we had were visuals. Um, so that being said, if you start, and like, this is what I like to start with whenever I'm lighting something, it's what do I want the audience to see in this frame? And as I'm sort of going through a script, I'm reading and deciding what in my head as I read the script, what am I seeing and what do I, what do I want to see and what do I not want to see? Um, and so that's, how I usually start with any sort of scene or even a photograph. Like, what am I going to show the audience? Then the next step for me is uh, how do I add depth to a frame? Like, how do I make something 
interesting. Where do I guide the viewer's glance? And a lot of that stuff can be done with lenses. A lot of that stuff is definitely done with lenses. It's definitely done with depth of field. Uh, it's done with production design. It's done with blocking. Like there are so many different tricks that you use to drive perspective or the perspective of the audience. And yes, lighting is just one of those paintbrushes in your toolbox. It's a big fucking paintbrush. But these other, th these other elements are really important. And these other elements actually uh, will dictate how you're doing the light. Like how bright the light is, how hard the light's light, light is, how soft the light is, uh, what the color of the light is, is directly affected by wardrobe, it's directly affected by location, and it's directly affected by story, right? So these are things that I'm always thinking about when I start a piece. I never really set out to go, I'm going to make something sexy, you know what I mean? Uh, I do, <laughs> I was getting shit, I just shot... Uh, some stuff with the School of Motion guys, and they actually were like, we brought Mike in to do the sexy work. I never actually set out to go, I'm going to make this look hot. I'm going to make this look really sexy. It's For me, I like contrast. I love color contrast. Um, and right now, these days, my reflex when it comes to lighting is with heavy saturated color. Um, but, you know, of course, those guys at the back end of it go, oh, this looks really sexy. And it's like, okay, yeah, but it's not like I set out to be <laughs> just a sexy dude with this shit. I'm trying to uh, create um, something interesting. I'm trying to create a story with limited resources. And in that shoot, we were shooting in a office setup, which, you know, if you ever shoot in a corporate office, they're all the fucking same. It's a room full of white walls, which... I hate because you can't control light in white rooms. Um, and that usually has really, like, really ugly lighting. I, I, I never understood why a company, why a corporate office um, would just do overhead fluorescent lights. Lighting affects your mood. It totally does. I mean, how often, how many times have you guys been uh, hanging out on the beach during a sunset and you have that really warm magic hour glow happening and you just, you feel the buzz, you feel warm, you feel happy. And it's, it's, it's those moments that you want to take out your camera and start taking selfies. It's those moments that you remember from the vacation. Um, it's really sort of affected by that light. And then, you know, if you've ever been into uh, an office or a home where people actually give a shit about light, um, there's this mood that's set with it. Like if you turn on all the lights inside your house and the place is completely well lit and you can see into every corner, there's no mystery. There's no, I call it romance, but essentially it is the mystery. It's the mystery of not knowing what's beyond the shadows. It's the mystery of not being able to see every wrinkle on that person's face. Um, you know, if you are going to do a romantic meal, you usually bring in candles and you do sort of a candlelight setting uh, because that warmth from those candles uh, the very sort of soft light that emanates from it is very flattering to uh, the people that are around it. So if you look across that table and that girl is incredibly dreamy and she has like these really hot little uh, light spots in her eyes and her skin looks really great, it's because of the fucking candlelight. <laughs> that and probably layers and layers of makeup. <laughs> I'm lying. Maybe you're dating someone that is just absolutely gorgeous all the time and they don't need good lighting. Uh, but most of us need light. Most of us need flattering lighting, especially when you're on the camera, in front of the camera. 
Uh, and this is a big thing with beauty content. So like if you watch commercials on television for like, I don't know, Noxzema cream, the most amazing fucking cream in the world, you spread it on your face and all your pimples go away. It's no uh, mistake that all the lighting for that is frontal. All the lighting for that is very flat and very overexposed. And what they're trying to do is get rid of any imperfections. I could take that same light source and start to move it around the face of that model on the screen and you start to get shadows, you start to get no shadows, you start to see the shadows from the bumps on the face, you start to see the texture in the skin uh, and it looks like that fucking cream doesn't work for shit. <laughs> so <clears throat> it's a big thing for beauty stuff. It could be fashion, it could be uh, portraits, it could be uh, you know, face cream ads. Uh, lighting is huge for that. And uh, there are specific DPs or cinematographers they had hired because of their skills with that. Um, and there are specific lights and specific light modifiers that are made to create those looks and to give it that softness. So uh, light is really, really important for the narrative of your image. Um, and you got to remember that stuff as you start to plan these things out. All right, so let's go back to my list here. Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it is all about that story. It is all about that light uh, when, you're, when you're telling the story. And if I think about it, all of my favorite films, even story-wise, all of my favorite films have beautiful light in them. Um, and I think what I'll do at the end of this episode, we'll talk about those films and I'll give you guys a list of movies to see because it always blows my fucking mind how many uh, of you youngins out there haven't seen the good shit. And, I'm, and, I, and it's, not like st it's not like I'm reaching back into the 30s here, guys. <laughs> you know, we're talking like the 80s, the 90s, even the 2000s. There have been amazing cinematography. And these days, because of the cameras, because of how sensitive these cameras are, um, films can get dangerously dark now, which is really cool. You know, you start thinking about like David Fincher movies, you start thinking about uh, House of Cards um, and how he has the balls to have characters, main characters, big name talent, like people that they cast in these productions specifically to get you to watch them. Uh, and he has the balls to have them delivering lines completely silhouetted and completely in shadow. Um, it's really cool stuff. And we'll get into that later in the episode. So <clears throat> how do you start? How do you start? So if you are changing your mindset, right, and you're starting to think about uh, what we talked about before, this is how light, what light's for, it's all about the story, et cetera, et cetera. How do you actually light something, right? So let's say that you're using a, you could be using anything. You can use your fucking cell phone if you want. And if you do use your cell phone, there are certain apps that you can download that will lock exposure um, and will lock focus. You can dial in exposure. Um, those will make it easier for you because the cell phone essentially has that automatic exposure shit, automatic focus stuff because they're constantly trying to make everything look perfect. You want to shut all that crap off. In your camera settings, whether it is a cell phone or it's a camera, you actually want to create a base level. So you want to create your rules. So you sit there and go, okay, look, I want heavy grain or, or if I want heavy grain for this image, maybe I'll be at a high um, ISO. So like you'll be above 
1200, you'll be above 1000. Although on a lot of these new cameras, that stuff is super, super, super crisp and very low grain still. But if you're shooting with film, uh, you want to be below 800, right? So 800 ASA, uh, 800 ISO means the same fucking thing. It's basically film speed. It's the sensitivity that that film has to light. So you want to pick your film speed. That's usually what I do first. Decide what ISO that I'm going to shoot at. Then I decide um, what shutter speed that I'm going to be shooting at. And this is uh, more important for stills than it is for video. Uh, the lower the shutter speed that you shoot, so if you're shooting below 60 or 1 60th of a second, um, you run the risk of having motion blur. So the motion blur can either be caused by you holding the camera or the motion blur can be caused because the person in front of the camera can't sit still long enough. And back in the old days, when they would manually open the shutter and they'd have to leave those shutter open for a long time uh, to be able to get the light in to expose it, he'd have these portraitures of people sitting there for like five minutes and trying to stay as steady as possible. Um, but there'd always be a little bit of blurring that happened. And those images always seemed soft. So with me, without getting too nerdy about the camera stuff, I at least shoot at 1 60th. Um, if I'm shooting a subject that is doing any sort of movement, I'm trying to be over 120, maybe even 200 uh, shutter. So the higher you go with shutter speed, the more light you need for the camera. The lower you go with ISO, so if you go below 800, you start going down to like 500 or 100, uh, the more light you need. So you take those into consideration because that will dictate how big your light source needs to be. Then the next thing to consider is where generally do you want your f-stop on your lens to be? Because the three of those control light. You got your f-stop, which essentially tells that lens to open to a certain wideness. The iris on that lens will open to a certain wideness to let in light. And then, like I said, you have your sensitivity, which is your film speed or your ASA or ISO. And then you have your shutter speed, which is how long it stays open. So all those things affect light and how much light you're going to need. Um, and then you, we can go into detail on like how the wider you open your lens, the more focus it gives you, the more depth it gives you in that lens. The, the uh, smaller the uh, iris opens on it, then the less, the more depth of field you have, the tighter focus you get. So typically for a lot of lenses, you want to be anywhere between, uh, I'd say 2.8 and 5.6, depending upon the type of lens that you're playing with, right? So uh, that's what you start with with a camera. You sort of sit there and you go, okay, what, am I, what is my baseline for lighting? Where am I going to be at? Now, uh, what people used to use, and actually what you should still use, and my cinematographer David Cruda still uses it all the time, is a light meter. A light meter is a device that you can put the settings of your camera into. So like in the light meter itself, you can tell it, okay, my camera's shooting at uh, 800 ASA. Uh, I'm going to be at a shutter speed of 1 60th. And uh, let's see what the light, what, when you measure the light using those settings, that light meter will tell you what f-stop you need to set your lens to. Okay. So once you lay in those baseline settings, you can turn on a light, bring that light meter with you, point it in the direction of that light, and take a reading. And depending upon how far away from that light you are, it'll tell you 
uh, at the po- position that you took that reading, unless you're using a laser scope, which is different, but at the position that you took that reading, the f-stop setting to get that light properly exposed there is, I don't know, 5.6, 2.8, depending upon the type of light you use. Now, if you're using that light meter, you don't have to just set that setting that it gives you. That aperture that it's giving you uh, is telling you that this is a properly exposed setting for the light in this position. You could also be using that light meter to decide, hey, I want to underexpose this area. So like if it's properly exposed at 5.6 here, then maybe I will make this an 8, or maybe I'll go higher to make it darker in that spot. Does that make sense? It's a lot, I mean, it's really difficult to go through these technically. And honestly, what I would do is uh, find a bunch of YouTube videos on how to use a light meter, how to set your aperture, how to set your ISO, your uh, your shutter speed. Those are valuable camera tricks that you need to understand before you start lighting. And that's stuff that you can, like I said, very simply do a bunch of YouTube searches and practice it. And you can practice playing with light. I suggest doing so in daylight scenarios. So that way the sun really won't change too radically. It'll be up for, in that position for a little while so you can start to play with your aperture settings. Um, and you can take that light meter and, and take it around and do readings in the sun, do readings in the shade, uh, do readings in the shadow caused by someone's body. Uh, just so you have an idea of the different values of light. Um, and that's a fun thing to play with, right? Excuse me. So start there. Um, next. So let's pretend like you understand how to set all that stuff in a camera and you've set your base level. So you set your camera up and let's say that we're, um, let's say that we're working in a daylight scenario, right? Because that's usually the easiest thing to do. Uh, typically what, uh, you want to do is find the window in the room. You want to find the the greatest light source. Um, and the sun is the best light source that we, you can use. It's the brightest light source. Um, and most of the time when you're having light come through a window, it isn't just coming straight from the sun. It's being reflected off the building across the way. It's being reflected off the trees. Um, it's adding color to it. There's all sorts of really cool things that happen with reflected light. Um, and so what I would do is set your subject in front of that window right? Then take your light meter and expose for that. So actually expose for the light coming through the window. Uh, Properly expose that. And then observe how the camera sees it once you put those settings into that camera. You'll see that the white light coming through the window is perfectly exposed and then everything starts to go to shadow on the other side. You have this sort of heavy contrast. You can then decide, looking at that image, go, okay, what is the emotion I'm feeling from this? Like, how do I feel when I see someone half covered in shadow? And if you did what I told you to do at the beginning of this episode and you're sitting in front of that window, look at yourself in the mirror or use your phone, uh, properly expose for the light, and look at yourself. And how do you feel? And what does that lighting say about you as a character? Does that contrast add hardness to you? Does that contrast add mystery to you? Uh, does that contrast look good uh, for glamour stuff? Does that look good for lighting? 
As far as uh, beauty shit goes, probably not. It might. Depends on how hard that light is and how much it wraps around your face. Um, but look at that person and decide what is the light telling you, the viewer, about that character and that character's backstory and that character's motivation. And that gets into the next point here for me. One of the things that I'd love to do is examine light in the real world. So whenever I'm out and about, uh, even if I, whenever I wake up, whenever I'm living and, I, and I'm aware of my surroundings, because it takes a lot these days for us to get past the fucking mobile devices that we have in our hands. And sometimes it takes a lot for us to get past all the stresses in our life and see more, see further than three feet in front of us. Um, but I find when I have that ability, when I'm trying to relax and if it's after meditating or whatever it is, uh, I try to look around and see how light is affecting everything. Um, and I love, I love manipulated light. I love man-made light. Uh, I really enjoy uh, walking around the city at night, especially in the days now of LEDs, where LEDs can do such amazing things and uh, color changes and temperature changes. And uh, they're so like the power pull from them is so minor. So you can, you can have LED lights anywhere these days. Uh, and I love to see how the light affects real world. So like if you're walking down an alley and there are a bunch of mixed light sources, so maybe you have a sodium vapor lights in the street lights, and then those give off a certain color and those give off a weird light texture. And then you are walking by like neon lights in a window. And not only do those give off a whole other color, but then the texture from those is different. Like the actual, the way it affects your skin is strange. Like neon lights are almost metallic. You know, the highlights that they create on your skin are almost very metallic to me. Um, and I love to watch people walk through light in real life, you know? So like if someone walks down that alleyway, what do they look like before they hit those light sources? And it's, they're just a shape a shadow as they approach those light sources. And then when they walk into those light sources, how does the light reveal them? Uh, light can act as like a, almost like a stage curtain in a play where it just slowly crawls around a subject and slowly makes its way around somebody as they walk past it. And then if you move light around a subject or if you walk through light, it changes its direction on your face. Um, and as it makes its way around your, the contours of your face, your emotions change, like the visual representation of your emotions change as you walk through light. That stuff is really fucking cool to me. Uh, if you're sitting with a lamp next to you and you're in that space, just you know, hopefully you've got some slack on the extension cord. Uh, just pick that lamp up and just while looking in the mirror, move that lamp from one side of your face to the other. And watch how many different characters are revealed, how many different emotions are revealed to you as that happens. And, you know, put the lamp above you, up higher, and put the lamp below you. And as you're seeing what the shadows do to your face, A, you'll probably be able to find your most flattering angle with that. But also B, imagine all of the different character story moments that you can create 
by just shifting the angle of the light. Whenever I'm doing uh, photography on sets, or if I'm in like, sometimes it's easier when I'm working in like an actual studio, I like to put most of my lights on wheels. So I'll put them on stands that have wheels because uh, it's all about the subtlest change uh, an angle of your light and for some sometimes it's fucking centimeters like I can take a key light and what I mean by a key light for those of you who don't understand the key light is usually the, the main source in the room so like if you're sitting in front of that window your key light would be that window that window light coming through that's usually the light that you start with that is the light that is motivating all the other light in the space um, and then you're usually augmenting that and we'll get into that uh, so I will usually take my key light, make sure that it's on wheels, and just slowly move it around the subject. And as we're shooting for something, I just find that everybody's face shape is different. Everybody's nose sticks out further or goes in further into their face or like a chin may be bigger or eyes are set further back in the face. Um, there is no standard position to set a light that will work for everybody. I mean, there are positions generally that that create certain looks, like a high frontal light is usually better for women if you're doing stuff. Um, and for men tend to look a little bit cooler with like very edgy light, like very side edgy light. Um, I know Kruda uh, hates doing frontal light. He lights most of his stuff from the back, believe it or not. And it's usually backlight that is ref reflected back into the face in one way or another. Um, but there's no rule to how do I set a light. I, like a, You can't just go to a fucking store, buy a certain light, buy a certain light stand, and go, okay, well, at uh, 35 degrees to the face, stick the fucking light there, and it's perfect. Um, there's start positions, but there's no fucking rule. And I think generally the best thing in the world to do um, is sit your talent down and just take a light and walking around them and look at how it affects their face. Uh, and these days it's kind of an easy thing to do because a lot of these really cool LED units uh, like the Quasar tubes or the Titans, um, they're all battery powered. So you literally can turn these fucking things on and just walk them around your subject's face and just see the different spots that you can choose to convey emotion, okay? So, I uh, hope this rambling is going good. I think some of it is. Let's go back to the list here. Uh, do, 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 do. Examine light in the real world. Yes, we got there. Um, yeah, also look at where light comes from in the real world, right? So you have man-made sources, right? And those can range from like sodium vapor lights. They can be fluorescent tubes. They can be neon lights, uh, they could be tungsten sources, which are the old school light bulbs that have filaments in them. Um, they can be LED. There's all sorts of different forms of light. And each one of those types of light comes with its own specific quality. And that quality could be the hardness of the light, or the softness of the light. And for some of you, when, when I say hardness or soft, I know it takes a lot to sort of examine that. Hard light to me generally means it creates really strong lines and harsh shadows, right? So like if I have a hard light, uh, and it's usually just straight focused from a source. So like if I grab like a, 
like a airy 600 out of a out of a case, stick it on the stand, open the barn doors, and just turn that fucking light on and blast it at somebody. That's very hard. It's coming right off the source. It's coming from the source of the light. And the shadows uh, have these really strong lines. And then the contrast is pretty huge because it's very bright. And so anything that is on the opposite side of that light is going to be very dark. Um, So that's a hard light to me then you can diffuse that light. You can actually either shoot that light through something or bounce that light off of something that will change the source of the light. So instead of uh, the main light source being that bulb, which creates that hard, hard source, you've changed it to the wall that you're bouncing it off of, for instance. So now the wall becomes the source of light and uh, it's spreading on a larger surface. And all of that is then reflecting onto your subject. And because it's a larger source, it starts to wrap around the face. So the shadow lines don't get as hard. And it starts to, you start to get these gradients on the skin from the brightest spot to the darkest spot. And that stuff is really good for beauty. Uh, and I could do a whole fucking episode. Maybe in the future we will. Maybe I'll get a key grip on this show. Because those guys are all about uh, controlling and manipulating light and putting light through different materials that create a different texture on the skin of somebody or different texture on the metal object that you're shooting or different texture on the food that you're photographing. Um, ah, dude, as I start talking about this, I realize what a deep fucking well. <laughs> <laughs> this is. Uh, so let me continue on and not get too deep into it. Uh, all right. Let's see. Examine light in the real world. Yep. Okay. And so as you're examining this stuff and you're looking around and you see how a fluorescent, how cool a fluorescent light looks in an alleyway or how badass somebody uh, is as they're silhouetted by the passing of headlights or um, how the TV light from the TV, which is the only thing on in the room at night, how that spills over everybody and how the people closer to the TV are darker, but how the people sitting behind them are barely lit. Just observe this stuff. Take note of this stuff. Seriously, take note of it and put it in your little toolbox put it in that visual collection that you keep Uh, and I think that's a really important thing to talk about here as you examine light and as you grow an appreciation for that the trick is cataloging it in some way in a, a certain way that you can then go back to when you need it right so if you're a cinematographer if you're a young cinematographer and uh the director comes to you and says All right, so there's a bunch of people, it's nighttime, and they're going to be sitting around, and they're going to be watching TV, and maybe um, the, this is the first time that the two characters kiss, like, you know, it's a Netflix and chill scene, essentially, right? So uh, he goes, so, you know, they're watching TV. And and most of the time uh, with uh, younger directors, and and sometimes you meet a director that knows something about photography and knows something about Uh, cinematography, but a lot of them don't. And it's fine. You don't need to. As a director, you hire the people that do know what you need to know. Uh, They're more focused on the bigger picture here. So as a cinematographer, uh, they're expecting you to create this world. 
They're expecting you to recreate the look of TV light. So you have to be able to go back to that catalog of memories that you have. You have to be able to go back and go, "Ah, when I was looking at that shit, what did TV light look like? Right, right. And then you had to recreate that for a camera because cameras see things differently than our eyes do. I mean, our eyes have the best automatic aperture focus setting that you can get for anything. And eyes adjust automatically. Ever notice that if you walk from a very bright room into a dark room, you can't see shit. But if you sit there for a second and you let your eyes adjust, you start to see LED lights on the back of your DVD player. You start to, you can actually use your fucking cell phone and light the whole room with your cell phone. You see the whole space. That's because our eyes are really great at that. A lot of these new cameras can even see better than our eyes can, but uh, they can't see both ends of the spectrum. So you're, you're usually picking one end of it. You're like, okay, am I going into the shadows or am I going into the highlights? Um, so you got to take all that into consideration. Like I said in the beginning, set your camera settings, figure all that stuff out, but then reach into that catalog and go, okay, how do I recreate the look of this TV for the camera and the settings that I have? What was the quality of light like off the TV? Was it a hard light? Was it a soft light? What color was that light? And was it constantly that color? And was there movement to that light, right? And that's how you generally start on how to recreate it in realism, but then you're sitting there going, oh, this is a romantic scene, right? So this is the first time that they kiss, so maybe I want that light from the TV to be very soft, and maybe I want that light from the TV to stay in the cool section, and maybe uh, they have candles on the table. Maybe they're being very romantic, and they have candles on the table, And so now let's bring in some candles and then how do I augment that light because that candlelight isn't going to be enough. How do I take that candlelight and put it on their faces? And then again, you're going back to your catalog going, okay, when I was looking and examining how candlelight affects somebody, how does it wrap around the skin? And when does it look the best? And what direction does it come from? And then how does it affect the walls around them as well as the people in front of the candle? Does that make sense? All right, so I think this is a good spot to do some sponsor reads for the show. Uh, first up are our old buddies, good friends of In Love With The Process, good friends of mine, the dudes over at Puget Systems. I uh, just did a trip out to Seattle. I did a little team up with those guys and dudes from School of Motion. Um, we shot some cool content that uh, will be released soon. Um, but, uh, this is the first time I've actually been to Puget Systems warehouse place that they build their stuff and fucking, Hey man, it's really cool. It's a, it's not like that giant fucking corporation building full of a bunch of fucking hipsters and fucking dot comers that are walking around fucking sucking down lattes, man. This is a, a spot with like real down to earth, honest to God people that put together machines. And if you go through their warehouse, you can see how personalized each one of these machines are. I mean, there's a rumor that every one of the technicians that wires them out actually signs the machine somewhere inside. That is how fucking happy and proud of the work that these guys do. And if you ever open up one of your Puget systems, you'll see the art form that is the wiring inside them. And it's all done by hand. This isn't computer shit. This isn't lines of fucking, you know, 
James Cameron fucking Terminator shit building these things. You know what I mean? These are real fucking dudes. And most of the guys that I met on the line uh, were all movie fucking nerds, which was super cool. We were just talking about movie facts and shit. Uh, really cool guys. So if you are a uh, filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're just looking to buy a new fucking computer, man, and the place, the giant that you usually go to for that stuff, uh, you go look at it and you find that the price tag is through the fucking roof, or you're frustrated because you're not getting the hardware that you want from it, um, then I highly suggest you build a PC. I highly suggest uh, you check out Puget Systems. Um, not only do these guys build amazing computers, but they're running bench tests all the time. Uh, they're testing uh, how the software works on hardware, what new hardware works the best, and they release this shit to the public for free. Uh, so even if you are just building a PC and you want to find some resources on that, go check out PugetSystems.com because they will release their benchmarks tests uh, and they will give you advice on what hardware to use. Uh, but if you are like me and you just want a fucking system that works and you don't want to be uh, running maintenance tests, you don't want to be doing any of that shit, pick up one of their systems. They're incredibly fucking affordable um, and their website's very easy to use. You can actually shop by software. You can say, hey, look, I'm going to build myself an After Effects machine and they will give you uh, sort of a baseline start point for hardware and then you can customize it. That's the best part. Customization. Uh, build yourself a machine with a larger case. When did we decide the cases for these fucking things have to be sleek and fucking so small? Because uh, when when they're when you, these manufacturers are building them that way, you're running into heat problems. You're running into like heat distribution issues, and so then what they do is they they actually clock down on the hardware that they're going to use for this because uh, they don't have any fucking room in the boxes for cooling systems and for fans. For that kind of stuff um i say you know buy yourself a fucking pc with a box that's big enough so that way you can put that hardware in it but you can also upgrade you can also expand on that same box uh, and that is the benefit of having a pc and i highly suggest you go and check out pugetsystems.com because these guys are the fucking leaders at uh, building amazing systems for professionals like us uh, next up, our good buddies at Rule Boston Camera. If you are an independent filmmaker, an independent photographer, if you are a DP, uh, these guys even have lights. Um, I highly suggest you make a relationship with your local rental house. And if you are on the East Coast, if you're above New York, uh, Rule Boston Camera is the place to rent from. Uh, these guys have all the latest and greatest fucking gear and technology. Uh, you can go in and get your hands on and learn how to use the cameras that professionals are using to shoot fucking giant movies. Um, and these guys will show you how to do it. Uh, it's very simple to set up a relationship with the uh, rental house and insurance. And you, if you don't have insurance, there's insurance waivers. A lot of young people are really concerned about how difficult it is to do it. It's the fucking easiest thing in the world. And then from a, a client perspective, uh, there is nothing more reassuring than, than knowing that the rental house that is local to your production will literally send out a replacement piece of gear if anything happens, right? So, uh, Rule Boston Camera, uh, go to rule.com, uh, check them out if you're on the East Coast. I love the dudes, they sponsor the show. 
and that's why I'm sending them my love. Um, so yeah, those are the reads. Uh, let's get back into some more lighting shit. All right, see ya. I, I just, I think that uh, if you decide that you want lighting to be a passion of yours and you really want to get nerdy with it like I do, you got to basically go out and go on a safari. <laughs> Not a bar safari. Go on a lighting safari. Go around and examine how it works in real life. Like right now in the studio that, I'm, that I've got set up here to record the podcast, my primary light source that's lighting the whole fucking room that I'm in is the sun, which is behind the window that I'm looking out of. So it's not like I'm looking out the window and there's a sun in the sky. It is behind the house on the other side. And it is hitting the roof of the house across the way, which is like a gray tiled roof. And the sun is then bouncing off of that into the house. So inside of my space, I have this really soft light that is wrapping around everything. So I can see into the shadows of the room. I can see uh, into uh, the shadows that are created on my skin. It's actually a beautiful light source. It's really, really cool. Um, and if I was going to recreate that in real life, if I was going to do that on a set somewhere, I would know that I would need to have a big-ass fucking source, uh, some big light, like a 20K or whatever the fuck it was, uh, and then have a big reflective surface and be bouncing that light into that reflective surface to recreate that and that's usually why you see people set up like 20 buys or they put silks like giant silks outside of fucking windows and they're blasting light into it it's to recreate that sunlight that day sunlight stuff which is essentially is saying that the sun is usually reflecting off of something out there it's never really directly coming through the window although that's not true it could be directly coming through the window and then you'd be using a different light source for that I digress as I continue to dig myself a hole on that. <laughs> uh, and I also want to say this. Look, I love light. I understand how light works in the real world. Um, but I love and I work with really good gaffers, really good electricians, really good technicians that know light sources, that physically know how to set them up, physically know how much light or power they draw, um, and they know how to manipulate it. So uh, I like to try to know as much as I can about those things, but it's fucking impossible to keep up with technology. And unless I was a gaffer or a cinematographer that was working all the fucking time, like most of the year, uh, it'd be really difficult to do that. That's not what I'm doing for this episode. I'm not going to give you the skills that you need uh, to do that every day. I just really want to open, generally open your eyes, open your mind to how to start thinking about light and how uh, to examine it in real life and how to take those ideas and put those ideas on a page conceptually or be able to convey those ideas to your cinematographer or even if you are someone that wants to try it, where do you start, Okay. Let's go back to the list here. Let's see, where are we at? We're about 41 minutes. Fuck. Shit goes by fast when I ramble, huh? Uh, 
Okay. Let's get into, like I promised earlier in the episode, let's get into great lighting films. So besides uh, examining how light works in the real world and seeing, uh, going on your light safari, uh, another great way is to watch movies, right? And to watch these films that do really amazing things with lighting. And I remember when I was starting out and I was examining this stuff, uh, I, I love David Fincher. We all do, right? So Seven. Fuck. Seven is such an amazing movie to watch for lighting, right? Uh, any of the sequences in that movie, you know, when they go in and they find the fat dude that's died at the table from uh, his stomach exploded, uh, the fucking dimness of that space, right? How much light wasn't in that space. And then the genius uh, notion of using the flashlights from the main characters to light that space, right? Super cool. So it becomes very noir, film noir, which at the time, film noir, one of the main uh, ways to do identify a film noir was a heavy contrast lighting, like very, very black blacks, very uh, hot lights, uh, very low to no uh, bounce or fill, right? So it's just very high contrast shit. And seven is a noir. And so when you watch that sequence where Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt walk into the house, it's like the first time they're working together. There's a sense of mystery to Morgan Freeman's character. Uh, He's very methodical. And Brad Pitt's character is a bit nervous. He's a hothead. Um, He doesn't, uh, he's trying to figure out this guy that he's been thrown in to work with, right? And you can see that just in their blocking and their pacing and how they walk into that space you can hear it in their dialogue and how they deliver their lines. Those characters are being conveyed to us with all these different techniques. Um, but you could also see that in the way that they're lit and how they use their flashlights, which is fascinating. And the thing that's really cool, we did this on 12 Cam 2 in the whole basement sequence, which, you know, thinking about it now is probably directly uh, influenced by that scene seven, actually. That's funny. Um, but uh, you can use these hot lights. So it isn't just about having a flashlight and seeing someone hold a flashlight, but it's also about uh, being smart about what they're shining the flashlight on because it's then bouncing back on their face, right? So if you have someone that's walking through the screen and you don't want to see their face, you shine the flashlight at the floor. Or let's say that you have people walking through the screen and you want to see them as silhouettes. You have the character behind them shining it on the wall behind the person that's in front of them, and as they walk through that, they're a silhouette, right? Uh, If you're coming into a close-up and you want to see their face, have them shining a flashlight on an object that's in front of them, and the light is then being bounced off that object onto their face. And the closer they get to that object, the brighter their face gets. So you can have someone walking from shadow into light, and all they're doing is basically shining a flashlight past the camera, and it's bouncing off a source or the wall or something that you put there, Uh, to illuminate their face. Pretty cool shit, right? Really fucking rad shit. Um, Seven is a great movie to watch for lighting. And if you want to go even deeper into the film noir stuff, start watching old movies like Third Man. You know, black and white movies are fantastic to watch for lighting because it strips away color, it strips away everything, and it just becomes about exposure, right? It becomes about directional light, exposure of light. It's very easy, it's very simple to see Uh, the different light sources on someone's face, right? Uh, And 
you know, speaking of light sources on somebody's face, you, like I said before, you have the key light, right? So whatever the main light source for that room, for that space, for that scene is, could be the sun, could be the lamp in the room, right? Whatever the main motivator for the, the largest source in that room is, then you can uh, separate someone off of a black background or even another dimly lit source um, by giving them an edge light. And this is a big thing that you hear all the time, like what is an edge light? Usually behind, so at the opposite angle that the camera is shooting, right? So behind a subject, you'll throw a high, hot, overexposed, could be overexposed. For me it is, but it doesn't always have to be. If you're like Rob Richardson, it's very overexposed. Overexposed light that is coming and just hitting the back of that person. And what's fascinating about it is that it slightly depends upon the angle that that lamp is coming at. If it's directly behind them, even though it is just hitting that back, that person, it's slightly wrapping around their head a bit. So it gives their head this hard white edge line, which is super cool, right? If A lot of the stuff is stuff that you use if you're an illustrator or you're a, um, a painter, right? Because you're trying to create depth. You're trying to take a person off of a background. You're trying to make it seem like there's space between the person and that back wall, uh, and that's what an edge light would do. Um, you can also create that sense of depth by having the light in the foreground on the person be brighter than the light that's on the background because uh, intuitively your brain goes, okay, well, that's they're brighter because they're closer to the light and the back wall is less bright because it's further away from that light. So whenever I'm in a studio environment, what I like to try to do is create as much separation between the subject and the background as possible because it's easier for me to light them. You know what I mean? So uh, one of the common uh, mistakes that a lot of uh, young people make when they're shooting uh, a scene is that they'll put their actors close to the wall. And that's most of the time it's because there isn't enough room in the location that you're shooting. Um, the closer you put the person to the wall, uh, the more that wall is going to be affected by the same light that you're using to light their face, right? So what I like to do is try to put at least uh, at least five to 10 feet between uh, the subject and the back wall. Um, if you're in a studio, you can move walls, you can do all that kind of stuff. But if you're on location, it's about finding the right angles to do that. Um, and then the trick is uh, you light the person in the foreground first, or you set up your key for them, or at least I do, set up the key for them, uh, and try to control that light. Keep that light only affecting what I want it to affect. So like if I want that light just to specifically be a key wraparound light on my subject's face, I will set it up so that it does that. And then I'll bring in control items like flags or duvetine or black wrap or any sort of barn doors, anything that you can use to control the spill of that light. So that way it isn't filling the wall in the background. So that way you're sculpting that light specifically just to illuminate that person's face the way you want it to. And then you can bring in a different light unit, like another light source to light the wall behind them. And this is useful if you want to uh, create depth. If you want to have the light on the back wall to be darker or brighter or a different color or shape differently or from a different angle, um, you can do that. And just 
just separating that person from that wall and allowing yourself to be able to light them both independently uh, really gives you the opportunity to create uh, a deeper image, uh, a stronger image. Um, it's a it's a cool little trick. So definitely keep that in mind when you're lighting your interview subjects. If you're gonna do that romantic Netflix and chill scene on the couch, how far away from the wall is that couch? And it isn't the rule. Like I said, these are just little tricks. They're all little tricks. They're all little uh, things in your toolbox. Um, you can totally put someone right up against the wall and have light uh, moving across it. And uh, maybe you want that same key light affecting them both. You know, yeah, never know. But for me, I'm always uh, going back to my visual toolbox, going back to my visual safari of, of uh, lighting material, or I'm going to movies. So let's continue on this tangent of uh, great films to watch for lighting. Um, I just watched uh, on the plane ride home the other day, I watched Casablanca for the first time, Jesus, in years. Uh, and fuck, that movie's fucking fantastic. Uh, you can, watching that movie now, I could see what a fan of that movie Spielberg is, actually, you know, because uh, a lot of those sequences, it felt like Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, the lead in that movie, he, had, he the way he was drinking at the bar, the way he walked to windows and scenes and looked outside, uh, the the way that cars arrived and how he, the director blocked uh, huge uh, street set pieces. Uh, it really felt like um, The Lost Ark, man. really felt like Indiana Jones stuff. But he does a really, really beautiful job with uh, lighting. And, you know, back in the day when the lights had to be fucking massive, you know, and huge and hot, and they put off all this heat, um, they did some beautiful sculpting. Uh, and it's, it's, not, it's, not a new, it's not a noir. I don't think it is. Uh, maybe someone would, would uh, argue with me, but... If it is, it's like a soft noir because there's there's a whole lot of beautification lighting in there. Um, but uh, I would definitely watch that. Uh, it's a great, great fucking movie, uh, Casablanca, and it's uh, it's not like it's a deep <laughs> it's not like it's a deep dive like it's some random movie that no one's ever seen. I mean, it's a fucking classic uh, because of that. Uh, I would also check out um, Citizen Kane for the same reason. There's a reason why they. They show that movie in film school um, and the camera uh, tricks and the lighting tricks that uh, Orson Welles used have really defined uh, how we do things in cinema today. Um, fucking fantastic movie for that. Very much a noir. Uh, black and white. Once again, great movie to examine um, how to, uh, to create emotion with light. Um, and then for me, when you get, when I get into the eighties, uh, lighting gets really fun. I think, uh, the eighties to me is all about atmosphere. Uh, and it's no secret that I'm a huge Ridley Scott fan. Uh, and if you look at his films, uh, Blade Runner, obviously Blade Runner, uh, his use of haze, his use of smoke. But the thing that is really cool to watch in Blade Runner is how he uses movement light movement uh, to create depth. Uh, and uh, there's that infamous scene in Tyrell's office where Harrison Ford shows up for the first time and runs the test. Um, and in the walls of that room, it's this weird 
moving light that looks like it's reflected off the surface of like a, a water surface, like a pond or whatever. Uh, and I remember hearing an interview or reading about an interview where uh, Ridley was getting shit. <laughs> Supposedly, this is the story, that he was getting shit on set about doing that. I think I don't know if it was from his lighting team, but he's like, I, basically what I would like you guys to do is bring in small trays of water, uh, put those trays on the floor, and uh, take our light sources and bounce them through the water and have that rippling effect on the walls. And I think someone questioned that, and they were like, well... There's no fucking water in this scene. Why Why would you do it? And Ridley's response was something to the effect of, because I said so. It's there because I say it is. And he's right. And, and I think uh, what he's trying to do is make that scene more dynamic. He's trying to create a, uh, I call it a smell. I always say this. It's like a vibe, a tone, a smell for the environment that is that is weird and very specific to that world. Um, between uh, light tricks like that, and then he used a lot of like heavy, very bright, strong beam lights that he would be constantly moving in the background, in through windows. Um, and uh, he used obviously a lot of haze, a lot of smoke. And the thing that's really great about smoke and haze is that uh, through volumetrics, it'll show you the beam in the air, which I use a fucking lot of that stuff, especially if you don't have the money for a set design, if you don't have the ability to fill backgrounds. Um, you can actually uh, fill the background behind a person with just pure light because you can see it in the air. And this works really well when you start working with color. Uh, if I wanted to just fill the background behind somebody with color, uh, without actually blasting that color on to a surface like the wall or, or something else. If I just wanted that person to seem like they were in a pink world, uh, haze is really good for that. Um, so Ridley's huge with that. And then, because uh, Crude uh, and I get real nerdy about the stuff, the techniques that he used, we just did a new piece that will be coming out soon new knife piece and uh, we were toying around with another one of his tricks is just sort of getting floating dust particles um, in the air and uh, Kruda was doing it was pretty cool he went out and got like a down pillow and then just crowned up all the feathers from a down pillow uh, so they just become like these floating particles and you're just putting those through a fan and if you backlight those uh, they look really cool so like if you have a backlight, like a really hard edge light or a backlight or a spotlight uh, hitting a, your actor and you do a close-up, right? And your actor becomes silhouetted by it. So the light is cutting them, them out. So you have like the silhouette, the shadow figure. Um, and if you wanted to do a little bounce, like if you wanted to see some detail on the shadow side of their face, you can bring in a bounce source. Um, or maybe it's just bouncing off of something that naturally exists in that space. Uh, and then you just throw some of those dust particles in. Those dust particles will look really fucking cool. Um, I've been doing that for years. I did that in uh, some of our early music videos. It just, it's something cool. There's something cool about reminding the audience that uh, people in your movie have to breathe air. And... Uh, reminding uh, the viewer that there's wind and that there's movement in the space around your actor. 
Um, and I think Ridley is the fucking man with that shit. He has done such an amazing job on that. And so if you're looking for movies to examine from him, I highly suggest Blade Runner. I highly suggest Black Rain with Michael Douglas. That fucking movie kills. Uh, he does amazing work with uh, light and colored light in uh, Thelma and Louise. Yes, Ridley Scott directed Thelma and Louise. Um, let's see, what's another great one? Alien, obviously. Alien's got some great stuff. Uh, Alien's a really good example of how to build lights into your sets practically. Uh, he does an amazing job at that. He'll actually uh, put in the construction of the set, they'll build the lights that they use as their key sources, and then um, the set itself will light the actor, uh, and then they just sort of bring in these small units to augment it. So if you need something to provide a little fill, if you need something to provide a little edge, or just some sort of focus, um, you just it's a lot simpler to do it that way. You can walk around these little units, and you know that the fluorescents or the LEDs that are put into the walls uh, will light the actors the way you design them to light the actors. It isn't as simple as like just going, yeah, I'll put a bunch of overhead lights, unless that's the look you're looking for. But you can be uh, really clever about it and say, look, this angle is really great on these actors, so I'm going to build a set of lights that run along the wall at their face level, you know, because I like what they do to them. I mean, you can get really fucking nerdy with this shit. You know, the deeper you go down this hole, um, the more you can start to plan things. And the more you understand these things uh, ahead of time. And you you have that really great collection of, of uh, light safari inspirations and film inspirations and photo inspirations and, and paintings. Uh, you can put these designs into sets, you know. Um, or if you're dealing with a storyboard artist, or if you are a storyboard artist, you can start to design the way light works. And then even if you're just a writer or a director, you, if you have this understanding, you can start to write in cues into your script, you know? So for instance, if we're in this, uh, you know, underground bunker facility and all of a sudden the drama goes to the roof and some creature escapes and the lights, uh, the main power is thrown, and it's just uh, emergency backup lighting. Well, emergency backup lighting are like tiny little spotlights that end up being really fucking cool edge lights, and then suddenly uh, a character in that same room, in that same shot, in that same space, uh, is got high anxiety and, and very sort of high contrast, and there's a sense of mystery, there's a sense of dread uh, in the shadows, uh, all basically done with a light cue. So uh, that's the kind of stuff that I get really fucking nerdy about. Uh, and, you know, as we develop 12 cam into a feature, that's the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm trying to uh, put in a lot of the prep and into the uh, set design for it. Because uh, fuck, why not, dude? That's the cool shit. And when you find great movies that do this, enjoy them, like savor them, like fucking like savor the shit out of them because there's so much stuff right now that is made that is just really flat or uh, there's stuff that is just copycatty kind of fucking lame shit. Like it, it really doesn't feel like it's connected to uh, the story. 
Um, not a, there's, not, there's a lot of shit that doesn't. I'm not going to be a fucking shit talker. There's a lot of it that is out there that's really cool. Um, but the, I forget who said the quote. Someone said a quote that if they watch a movie and they examine it, who was it? If they watch a movie and they afterwards they go, the cinematography is really great in that movie, they consider that movie a failure. Well, I don't necessarily agree with all that. But if you are so focused on the cinematography first and you're not focused on the story and you're not embedded in the story, then maybe the balance is off, right? Uh, but that being said, you can watch a fucking great movie and go, man, that movie was awesome, and the cinematography was fucking great, and go back and watch it over and over again for the cinematography specifically, it's still a great movie. Uh, this is, you know, I wholeheartedly believe in a great script. You need a good script. You need a good story uh, to get started, but uh, I don't think people give a lot of credit to the fact that uh, movies are a visual medium, and uh, not all movies need to be made and ha to have the same effect, right? Um, you know, you start getting too story heavy, you get start, start getting too drama heavy and you start hitting those same drama beats, it starts to feel like one of the long-running uh, binge shows that are on television where you're just like, got it, I'm going to hook them on cheap drama and keep rotating it over and over again. And that is a form of entertainment for that. And, you know, that's that. But I also think you can go and watch something like Beyond the Black Fucking Rainbow. Uh, that story is really loose. You know what I mean? And very much open to interpretation. Um, but it is such a visual uh, ride, such a, you know, influential visual film um, that, you know, it's like going to see a painting. It's like going to see artwork. You know, and I think for me, films are more powerful when there's a stronger sense of a universe that's being created. There's a stronger visual tone um, that you just can't shake and you can't verbalize it. And you watch it, and you're like, ah, you know, it's like Mandy, right? I've talked about Mandy on the show multiple times. Same director as Beyond the Black Rainbow, Panos Cosmatos, amazing dude. Uh, Mandy has such a fucking rich tone rich sense of visual style in it that um you know the movie's pretty basic it's a guy that goes on a revenge i won't spoil it but it's a revenge story you know revenges his wife um and it's nick cage which is crazy uh but that's only part of it for me and when i watch that movie the story is like mm, maybe 10 percent of what that film is you know for me it's like i'd say it's at least 65 percent visuals and then what he does with audio is fucking amazing, too. So, I, you know, we're in this fucking, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, everybody's a fucking critic world, where uh, this notion of movies having to be 100% all the way around, it's kind of dangerous. And, and people sort of poo-pooing a fucking film uh, specifically because it doesn't meet their fucking checklist 100%. And there have been so many great movies that have come out that I think their story has been, you know, under 40. And it, it, these are films that you might find on Rotten Tomatoes that are like rated 50 and under. Um, that have been fucking really cool, memorable, visual experiences. Um, so when you're looking to watch a movie, uh, I urge you not to just rate it, to go to Rotten Tomatoes and be like, fuck, you know, anything under 70%, I'm not going to fucking watch. Um, because I think 
modern society right now, like modern viewer is weighing a lot of their decisions heavily on plot points, uh, heavily on uh, political interest, uh, like social messaging. All that stuff is really affecting the scores for these things. Um, but if you go and you watch them uh, for multiple purposes, uh, not only just story, not only just acting, uh, not only just directing, but also from a visual standpoint and also from a fucking sound standpoint. It's a whole other episode. But uh, the only reason why I, I love watching Michael Bay Transformer movies in the theater is because of the fucking soundscape. Jesus Christ. It's like the most amazing. It's like going to a fucking Metallica concert. You know what I mean? It, it's it's an amazing sonic experience. Um, and you got to give them credit for that. And you know what? This kind of brings me to uh, the bullshit that's been going on with the Academy Awards lately. And I'm not going to get too deep into it because who the fuck am I to, to have an opinion? Uh, I'm just a viewer like the rest of us. But the fact that they uh, were going to not show cinematography and not show editing um, and just sort of pander to what the audience cheaply wants right now, which is celebrity. Ultimately, right? You watch the Academy Awards for celebrities, you know, and then maybe there'll be some sort of fucking crazy Twitter fucking shit around the celebrity shit. And, and they know that that's what pulls people in. And at the end of the day, when you watch the Academy Awards, it's another program that makes you sit through advertising and that's how they make their money, right? So uh, they're just pandering and, and they hit a point where they're like, you know what, we're going to cut cinematography and we're going to cut editing off this thing. Uh, which sucks because <laughs> without a cinematographer, you don't have a fucking movie. Without an editor, you don't have a fucking movie. And, and those two roles, I mean, every role is so important and integral to making a film, but those two roles are pretty fucking huge. You know what I mean? Like it, you make a movie in the fucking edit room. You know, anything before the edit is gathering the materials. It's putting together those bins. You make the fucking movie in the edit room. Like the end of the day, Boom, that's where it's done, you know? And then as far as what you see on screen, as far as like how you feel about the characters when you see them, as far as like uh, this, like all the special effects, all that shit, that's cinematography, man. And um, someone, I don't know if it was Guillermo that wrote it. Somebody was saying that um, the, the cinematographers are the soul of a film. Uh, and I believe in that. I really do. Uh, and not just because I've shot in the past or, or I shoot stuff, but as a director, I believe in that. And it's it's a visual medium, guys. That's what it is. Like uh, It's like opening up a comic book and wishing it was a fucking radio show or a podcast. It's a fucking comic book. And movies are fucking visual images. If you break it down to the end of it, like a movie, a silent film, is essentially a wide shot and a close-up and a close-up cut up next to each other. And then the editing and the juxtaposition of taking uh, this close-up and cutting it into uh, this wide shot. What does that say about the character? What does that say about the story? How does that emotionally affect the fucking audience? Uh, it's stupid. I, I don't, like I said, I'm not going to go too far down it. It's just, as a viewer, right? We're living in this time period now where everything is being curated for us where you are having choices that are made for you based upon stuff that you say that you like. But then at the end of the day, how are you finding new material? 
if you're a younger uh, audience member, are you finding new material because your friends say so? Or are you finding new material because there was some fucking poll done on Facebook that said, hey, you should watch The Goonies? Or are you watching The Goonies because you had an older brother or your parents show up and go, I love this movie and here are the reasons why I love this film? Uh, it's, it's an interesting time period right now for finding cinema. And I would just say, however you do it, whether you figured out how to crack the code on the algorithm and, and, and have them send you shit that's new, or if you uh, get advice from someone like me, or if you get advice from a family member or friend that saw a movie, try to get out of your comfort zone, right? Just because you're a huge fan of, I don't know, let's say the Daredevil show on TV, and you, uh, according to Netflix, Netflix is going to be like, well, so according to this, then he's going to like all superhero movies and uh, maybe some like other Netflix dramas. And that'll be like that whole fucking thing that gets pulled up. Get out of your comfort zone and do some research and watch movies for different reasons. And this episode's all about lighting. So let's talk more about films that you should watch for lighting. Um, back to the 80s, right? Uh, Adrian Line movies. So there was this interesting thing that happened in the 80s, early 90s, where uh, fashion uh, photography was uh, starting a new trend. And it was sort of like this very high, almost noirish, but very high color contrasty atmospheric lighting thing that was happening. A lot of really bright edge lights, a lot of really bright backlight stuff. And that fashion trend was also affecting a lot of the filmmakers. So Ridley Scott, coming from the commercial world. Uh, Tony Scott, specifically Tony Scott. Tony Scott was very affected by, from what I've read, Tony Scott was very affected by uh, fashion photography. Um, there's rumors that Top Gun, the style and the aesthetic of Top Gun, was actually based on a, a fashion book, uh, uh, photographs of, of men in a fashion book. So like you start to see that, volley, that volleyball scene, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but Adrian Lyne was also... Uh, another uh, really fantastic director that had really amazing visuals. And he did movies like Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder is a fan-fucking-tastic movie to watch for lighting. Definitely watch it. Uh, he also did Nine and a Half Weeks, another fantastic fucking movie for lighting. Uh, Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger is in that. Uh, the story is a little weird. Um, but fuck, that's one of those movies that I watch specifically for cinematography. Uh, you want to go deep into it, uh, go rent a movie called Razorback or find a movie called Razorback, which was made in Australia. It's kind of a grindhouse thing. Um, I forget who directed it. I forget who directed it, but the fucking lighting in that movie is so amazing. It's about a giant warthog pig that hunts people down. <laughs> like the story is dog shit, but the fucking cinematography is amazing in that movie. Um, and all those films sort of do that thing in the 90s, late 80s that I love, which is like putting moving objects in front of their backlights. So whether it's like a giant spinning fan blades or uh, it's uh, people walking and moving in front of the lights or the lights themselves moving in the scene. <sighs> so cool, man. It adds this level of texture. It adds this layer of that stuff. Um, and... I mean, that's the extreme version of it, but I was just shooting something recently. Uh, oh, yeah, we were doing this this new chef's piece, and uh, we're shooting the chef uh, on his line in his kitchen, and uh, we 
most of the key, the key for that scene was a window source that was near the street. Uh, so it's right on the street and the light was coming in through that. And then we had a couple of tubes that we brought in, a couple of lighting tubes to augment it. But the light coming through the main window was being reflected off of, I think it was like a, like a really chromey sort of bus station across the way. So even though the sunlight was being reflected, it wasn't soft. It was still very hard because it was a metal surface that was bouncing it back in through the restaurant. Um, but that light was coming from the sun, bouncing off that metal surface and then coming through the windows of the restaurant. But in between the restaurant and that metal surface was uh, traffic, cars. So there'd be these moments where the light was either uh, reflected off of the car surface, like the metal surface, or through the windows. And so while the subject is in this shot, you have like these this beautiful light coming through that window, and then you have these really hard, slightly brighter uh, passes of light from the cars that are moving in front of it. And it just added this beautiful dimension to a couple of the shots. Completely accidental. Um, but that little bit of movement, it just gives you something more to look at. And, and you start to add these elements into it, and then you don't have to edit as much, right? Because, you know, you're dealing with people that are... You know, there's a whole mentality that came out of like the 2000s and the MTV kind of shit where you got to cut fast because people have very short attention spans. You got to cut, 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 cut. But it's kind of bullshit. You don't have to cut that fast if you're giving them something really textured. If the stuff that they're looking at on that screen is pulling them in deeper. And if they're discovering things as they're staring at, at a single shot. And if you're getting pulled in by the lighting, if you're getting pulled in by the performance, if you're getting pulled in by the blocking, if you're getting pulled in by the camera movement, you can fucking sit on that thing for a long time. It's just about whether or not you're adding that texture, whether or not you're adding that depth to it, you know? And good lighting is good depth. It's, 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 it's depth into the screen, but it's also like emotional depth. It's, it's creative depth. Um, and I think that if... You do shit like that, you start adding moving lights. And if they mean something, you know, to the story, you start adding moving lights and you start adding uh, uh, shadows and movement in shadows, then you can sit on shots longer, right? Do you guys agree with me on that? I mean, that's just my general opinion on it. Uh, let's see, what else on my list here do I have? Jacob's Ladder. Any of uh, Tarantino's later movies that Richardson uh, shot, they're amazing. His stuff is really cool to me uh, for portraiture, so like or close-ups. Like if you look at how he shoots faces, and he does such a really cool job of using like a very hot, overexposed top light that he will either bounce into the table in front of somebody or like backlight with them. Um, it's a very distinctive style that he has created that he uses a lot. It's kind of a signature, uh, and it's always fascinating to watch uh, cinematographers that have signatures for stuff. Um, Oh, another great movie for all-around stuff is uh, Road to Perdition. Uh, fantastic movie. Tom Hanks is in it. Um, oh, my God. What's his name? <laughs> Who makes the fucking lemonade? <laughs> my goddamn brain. Um, Newman, he's in it. Um, fantastic movie all around. Just specifically... Uh, for multiple use of lighting. So 
Um, the cinematographer on that film does such a really great job with working with silhouettes, working with contrast, and he's known for uh, doing this very sort of naturalistic bounce light on everything. So he's never really putting a light directly into a character's face. He's either bouncing it off the floor, he's bouncing it off walls, he's bouncing it through different diffusions, uh, and the light just feels very soft and um, gentle, but it's very controlled. So you just have all these layers of depth and shadow that are really amazing to watch. Um, I love that fucking movie, man. It's a great movie uh, in general, story-wise and everything else, but you watch that movie for cinematography, it'll blow your fucking mind. Um, and these are films that have influenced films that we see today or TV series that we see today. Um, and you don't have to go. It's, I'm not saying that it's all movies from the past. That Some of the new shit is just fucking uh, like astounding. Uh, the new Blade Runner. Holy shit. The new Blade Runner was just fucking amazing. And the rigs that they would build uh, in the ceiling to have their the key lights move is that sequence where Harrison Ford finally ends up uh, in the, captured in that space. It's not Tyrell. What's his name? The guy that's running the corporation. And they have like these moving uh, key lights that are happening above them, which gives you the sense of uneasiness. Like you don't know what the fuck's going to come out of the background behind him. And then when you go to the close-up, those moving lights start to show different emotions. And it really, really makes your heart break for Harrison Ford uh, in that sequence. Um, so I would definitely check that out too. There's a bunch of really great movies. I'll try to put together, with everything else I gotta fucking do, I'll try to put together a list of films to watch. But if you guys want uh, to watch movies, if you guys want a list for me, ask. And uh, if you watch something that you really fucking dig, uh, and you are really curious about the lighting on it, uh, I'm open to conversation. Uh, you can reach out to me uh, on Instagram at Mike Petchy or uh, at In Love With The Process POD on Instagram. Uh, both places, I'll be there. I love to get nerdy about lighting. I love to get nerdy about cinematography. So if you see something cool that you think I would like, drop me a link. Um, and uh, if you want some suggestions, you know, write to me, tell me the type of movies that you like, and then I'll try to send you something that is completely the fucking opposite. I think it's our duty to be doing this stuff. I think we should be influenced by word of mouth when it comes to the stuff that we watch. So I am fully willing to do that for you guys. So I think right now we're clocking in about an hour and 20. So I think that's going to do it. I apologize if I sort of glazed through certain sections that you wanted to know more about. Um, but Jesus Christ, guys, this I could I could do a fucking 12 part, 12 hour series and barely scrape the fucking surface of lighting. Um, and, you know, if I'm going to start to get technical about how lights work, uh, I'm going to get someone on the show that knows more than I do about it. Um, but like I said in the beginning, this show is more about how do you get started thinking about lighting? How do you get started appreciating uh, great lighting so that way it'll affect your work? And you can use that as a tool. Put it in your box with a bunch of these other tools that we talk about on the show. Um, so, yeah, 
that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, but you know what? Before we go, let me, I asked you guys on Instagram to hit me up with some questions uh, about lighting. And let me, uh, let me pause this for three seconds and pull up that account and we'll get to it. So hold on. All right. So <clears throat> what do we got here? Uh, this is uh, questions that were posted on the in love with the process POD account. Um, all right. I have one here. I am planning to shoot a snowy forest soon. Okay, so you're planning to shoot in a snowy forest soon. Uh, what would you recommend for creating depth in the frame? Um, uh, it's a hard question, man. There's a lot of details that uh, I would need from you. But, okay, let's say that you're shooting um, during the day, right? So if you're shooting during the day, one of the most difficult things to do uh, in uh, full sunlight or even overcast sunlight is control light, right? So when you're shooting uh, with the sun, it's all about how do I control and manipulate that light? Am I adding shadows? Am I adding some sort of layer diffusion? Am I, um, am I trying to add some consistency to the quality of light? Because one of the big issues with uh, shooting uh, during the day is that the sun fucking moves. You know, the earth is moving. So the sun is going from one place to the other, so your shadows are moving. Uh, if you're shooting full sunlight, um, you one of the rules of thumb that you want to do for basic beautification is always put the sun behind your subject because it is the brightest source there. So like if the sun is blasting through the sky, uh, put it behind them. So it'll edge light them, it'll backlight them. And then the theory is, is that all you really need to do is put a bounce material in front of them so that it'll bounce back that sun source, which won't be as bright as the edge light, which adds that depth in, uh, to the frame. Uh, there's also a trick that you can do where you fly up giant pieces of diffusion or giant silks to cut the, the harshness of the sun down. Uh, so basically it takes that sun and turns it into a big soft source above it. Uh, but that requires a team of very talented grips and engineers, and sometimes crane operators to fly these pieces up that are big enough. If you're doing it on a tight shot, you can very easily handle that on your own. But as soon as you start getting into walking shots, as soon as you start getting into wide shots, it's like, okay, how much of the sun can I affect? How much of the sun can I control? Um, but if you're talking about doing a scene in a snowy forest, uh, the nature itself is going to add that diffusion for you because there'll be clouds in the sky and all that sort of stuff. Um, hopefully it's fucking snowing because if it is snowing will help add depth for you because you'll have uh, different layers of snowfall that are happening uh, in the foreground and in the background um, uh, and then as far as the lighting on your subject is concerned uh, like I said if you're doing close up stuff and you want to add some contrast then like like uh kill the light and have the subject be in shadow and the light in the background uh, or vice versa. If you're shooting at night, uh, night is a bit easier to control because you're not dealing with trying to manipulate the biggest fucking source on the planet, which is the sun. Um, I would say figure out how you're going to light it if it is at night. If you have a budget, um, I've seen people use uh, helium balloons 
Um, I think they call them like moon lights or moon balloons. I don't know. Uh, like I said, gaffer. We'll get a gaffer on the show. We'll talk about that. But uh, they have these light sources that uh, will float, and uh, they become sort of like a moonlight, like a big, like a big source that you can put up in the sky. Um, the, the older way of doing that on larger productions, and the way they still do it is they'll get condors in, which are like these giant. You've seen them. Workmen use them on the side of buildings. They're like these lifts. Uh, and they'll strap to the side of a condor, like a large source light, um, and send up a, a technician with it. And they'll put that up into the sky to create uh, a moonlight edge, a moonlight source. Um, you can also do those on the ground. Let's say that your key maybe isn't the moon. Maybe your key is coming from a house that's next to you or from a campfire. Uh, you can actually have uh, units that are on the ground outside the frame creating that stuff uh, another great way to create depth is also bring in smoke machines and um, you can actually smoke out the space and catch beams of light in the air but it also if you are running smoke behind a subject and not in the front of the subject then you're creating depth using that um, shooting outside is tough uh, just because there are so many elements that you have to control and it starts to get expensive for that uh, so the trick is to be creative, and, and for me, I would choose lenses. I would try to uh, create as much depth as I could with my lens choices and my blocking and movement. Um, and I think that's the easiest way to answer a question that is that big. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's see, what else do we got here? Mm, takes a minute for Instagram to load. Oh, cool, I gotta go all the way back to my messages. And hold on a second. Go fuck yourself because it's taking too long. You guys just listen to me stall here. Okay, here we go. How can people who suffer from colorblindness, etc., work in cinematography? Uh, it's a hard question for me to answer because I'm not colorblind, but I assume that. Uh, Dealing with colorblindness is like desaturating an image in Photoshop. So, um, colors are different luminances, you know? So maybe you're playing in the luminance game. Maybe you're playing uh, the di different shades of gray if you're fully colorblind. Um, but if you're if you're missing a color, there, there are articles out there, actually, about that. Uh, people who... You know, a lot of men, I think it's mostly a men that can't see certain colors in the spectrum. Uh, and I think there are some articles out there on photographers, at least, that are colorblind. Um, and the stuff that they shoot is still fucking fantastic. So I, I don't think it's a big issue. Uh, there's also, uh, I, I stumbled down a hole a while ago on people that would get those glasses that apparently repair that vision and watching people see color for the first time with these glasses. It's such an emotional thing to watch where they're just sort of looking around going, holy fuck, that's what purple looks like. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's super fucking cool stuff. Um, it is a loaded question. I, dude, how the fuck do I know? <laughs> I'm not colorblind. Um, but I know that there are people that are colorblind that, are, uh, that shoot photographs and stuff and they still do an amazing job. So I don't think... It should fuck you up that much. All right. So those are the two questions for the show today. 
I appreciate you guys listening. Hopefully uh, this episode with just me rambling is a good one. Um, please support the show if you like what I'm doing and I'm trying to put out more of these as I go. Uh, you can donate to the show if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I have a uh, $5 donation button on there uh, that helps me pay for bullshit that I do on the show. And a uh, better way to do it is if you are not, uh, have not been a member of Audible, uh, if you sign up for Audible's 30-day free trial by using our login stuff, uh, I'll put the link below, but I think it's like audibletrial.com uh, backslash in love with the process. Don't quote me on that. I'll put the link below. Um, you go there, sign up for 30 days. You get it for free. They give you a free book. Uh, Audible's fucking great. I use it. Uh, it's, I don't have time to sit and read books these days, so I'm actually listening to them as I do things. Um, and then everybody that signs up, uh, we get a little bit of change for it. Uh, and if you do it for 30 days and you don't like it anymore, cancel. We still get paid. Who gives a shit? But I guarantee you're probably going to stick with it uh, because there's so much fucking content on there. Um, and in, in a world that we all love listening to people talk and podcasts and all that sort of stuff, uh, it just makes sense to get your books the same way. Uh, we're all headed down that road to be fucking illiterate anyways. So, Audible. What a good spot read for those guys. <laughs> um, and uh, continue to support us by telling people that you fucking listen to us, man. You can grab any of the graphics that I post. You can rip any of the stuff off of my website um, and post it on your social media outlets and say, I am one of the people that listen to In Love With The Process. This show fucking rules. This show is the best place to go and get really cool, rambling fucking content on how to survive it as a filmmaker and a photographer. Um, I promise you guys that I'm going to have some fucking cool-ass guests um, in the next cycle of episodes that I'm putting together. I'm going to try to do it more frequently. I would love to say to you guys it's going to be every Monday, but fuck off. I need more money for that. <laughs> I like I physically need more support in order to do it that regularly, but I promise you that I'm going to put together at least mm, five to ten new episodes that I'm going to be putting out. So subscribe. That's the best way. If you follow us on uh, the Apple podcast thing, fucking subscribe to it. iTunes, subscribe to us. Uh, Stitcher, subscribe. Uh, fucking uh, Spotify, subscribe. It will tell you right when the new episode comes out. You can be the first ones to listen to it. Uh, and you know what? Start. Give me some feedback. Do you like the show? Let me fucking know. Because um, I respond to you guys. I listen to what it is that you guys want to listen to. Um, so definitely reach out. Hook me up. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And uh, go have some fucking fun with some lights, man. All right, see you.